nobody wants to talk about backup. Nobody wants to run. It's, it's an evil, but it's a necessary evil. But nonetheless, nobody really wants to talk about it. It's like talking about plumbing, right? I'm, yeah. I'm nobody, with you. I'm with you. Nobody, care, nobody cares about plumbing until you get backup. So, but boom ah, Back, back. Hi, and welcome to Backup Central's Restored All podcast. I'm your host, W. Curtis Preston, a.k.a. Mr. Backup, and I have with me my clarified butter consultant, Prasanna Maliandi. <laughs> How's it going, Prasanna? I'm good, Curtis. I have to say my wife was quite surprised when we were talking about ghee, which is Indian clarified butter. Yeah. She's like, what are you talking to Curtis about? Because I think first we started off with herbal teas. Yeah. Because you're like, yeah, there's not enough flavor. Should I try using like loose sleep? And we we're talking about that. And then we switched over to ghee. And she's like, who are you what? talking to? And why does Curtis <laughs> care about this? And then suddenly I got to talk to you. And, she, and I was like, I'm thinking about trying ghee. Like, is there a brand that I should try? And your wife's like, well, I make my own. And I'm like, of course you do. And it's a so, staple like Indian cooking, right? It's I didn't sweet. even know ghee existed until a couple of years ago. <laughs> and then it just keeps coming up. There was this meme on facebook where it was like it's two people and it's like this butter is amazing and he says actually it's ghee and she says thanks for clarifying and, i did see so that one on reddit it's been, yeah it's been coming up a lot <laughs> and so i see it for me as a way to solve a long-running argument in this house because the thing about ghee for those that don't know is that it's shelf stable that by doing what you do you can just leave it on the counter and it lasts much longer than butter yep. would on the counter. At least a couple of months or until you finish it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I don't think this jar that I bought, by the way, I have received my first jar of ghee today and I have already eaten some. So I like to do toast with a liberal butter and I want it to be easy to spread. So I want the butter on the counter. My wife is concerned about the butter going bad. So she's constantly putting my soft butter in the refrigerator and I'm like, damn it. And then I have to slice it and then I got to nuke it just so I can yep. spread it and it ticks me off. And so then I had this moment. I was like, gee, gee can solve this problem. And so I was like, I bet Persona knows about gee. And so now I've, I ordered. And, and, and since you got it, how was it? You know what? It wasn't life-changing, but it did taste good. It tasted, you know, like butter, obviously. Super spreadable. It was like butter. It was like butter. <laughs> <laughs> but so there's going to be some moments. I'm going to make some toast and then I'm going to spread it. And uh, yeah, I'm going to be, I'm going to enjoy some ghee. That's all I'm saying. Sometimes my wife likes to spread ghee on sourdough bread and then just toss it on the skillet and let it like crispen up on oh, yeah. both sides. Yeah. Yeah. Really good. So, by, by the way, is ghee an Indian word? <clears throat> I believe it is. I've been informed that ghee is from Sanskrit that means sprinkled. Interesting. Yeah. I learn something all the time. Yeah. You never know what you're going to learn here on the Restored All podcast. <laughs> <laughs> this is going to prove to be, I think, an interesting discussion. <clears throat> there could be arguments. We we might not agree. I might not agree with our <laughs> guest here, but he certainly has me when it comes to experience. 
he may be, I, I think he is the guest that we've had that has the longest time in IT. And interestingly enough, he's about the same age as me, but he's been in IT for 10 years longer than me. Because he wasn't so like slacking 40, like you. Yeah, he, yeah, he was. I was slacking in high school and, and college. He's been in IT for 40 years. He's been at NetApp for 16 years. Currently the director of market strategies. Welcome to the podcast, John slash Ricky Martin. Thank you for inviting me. It's a pleasure to be here and talk to you face-to-face, so to speak. So to speak, in in what stands for face-to-face in the COVID world. Are you in the Bay Area, I assume? Well, I'm in a Bay Area, so... I'm in Sydney, so I actually look out Sydney, over a thing right. called Shipwrights Bay, which is next to Botany Bay, which is a Bay Area. So let's go with with that. Yeah. I actually, I have a little story from my visit to Sydney. I visited The Rock. There was like a plaque, as there usually is. I was reading a plaque. And I remember it, it said something like the founding date or the first arrival date was like 1770-something. I don't remember if it was just before 1776 or just after. But I just said, oh, that's really interesting. That's close to the founding date of the U.S. And I wonder if there's any relation to that. And this Aussie looked at me and they were like, you're kidding, right? Like, (laughs) no, not kidding. You do know that you were a prison colony first, and that then you had the big battle and you told the Brits to shove off. And so then they sent them here. Oh, no. I've taken <laughs> plenty of American history. Literally had no idea that we were a penal colony before Australia was. Yep. So yay school system. But you know, it's interesting. It's sort of a running joke about Australia being originally a penal colony. But that for some reason, I don't know, we just had better marketing or something. I don't yeah. know. No one yeah. wants to acknowledge that, I think. Yeah, you're kind of more up on the the religious persecution and freedom from that sort of side. Yeah, Yeah, we just glossed over that other stuff. History is written by the victors. (laughs) So you and I interacted somewhere out there in the Twitterverse and this paper that you wrote back in 2018 with a nice long name, Improving Economics and Business Workflows by Using a Self-Protecting Data Infrastructure. Short title, I think, is Backup is Dead and NetApp is Awesome. Maybe I think that's the that's my version of my reading of this paper. How'd I, how'd I do? Pretty good. Look, it's the whole thinking for that came out of something else I did many years ago, even when I was still working at Legato, when I was basically the APEC guy for all of now, some, Legato. Some listeners don't know. So Legato, they had Networker, the backup product, which currently is owned by Dell because Legato got bought by EMC, EMC got bought by Dell. So Dell Networker used to and be, a, yeah, yeah. I, I spent plenty of time making Networker backups back in the day. So I have my timer on Networker. So you were actually at Legato, a, a backup company, mm-hmm. and you had a presentation, I understand, that was not very backup friendly. <laughs> It was, it was called Backup is Evil. Have you ever tried to get people to, like when you have those like trade fairs and you've got everybody's like presenting their wares and things uh-huh. like that, and everybody kind of walks past your stand because you're talking about backup. And let's face right. it, backup is as boring as bat. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah. It's just, it's just no, nobody wants to talk about backup. Nobody wants to write. It's, it's an evil, but it's a necessary evil. But nonetheless, nobody really wants to talk about it. It's like talking about plumbing, right? 
I'm with you. I'm with you. Nobody cares about plumbing until you get back up. So, ba boom ah, Back, back. Uh, oh. <sighs> Sorry. So... In order to get people to come and talk to me, I was saying that backup is evil, right? Because back then, even 15, almost 20 years ago, the whole idea about doing full backups, which pulls all of your data across from all of your subsystems, pushes it across your networks, it doesn't just touch every piece of your infrastructure. It treads all over in great big hobnail boots. If anything's (laughs) going to break, it's going to break during backup, okay? Um, you're gonna you're gonna have true. to you're gonna have to hobnail boots is that a british phrase hobnail boots yeah it's a british thing it's like boots that are so, so thick that they've got like these nails at the bottom to provide tread oh okay all right all right i'm with you i'm bilingual by the way i, I speak both, <laughs> both english and american but so, go ahead. yeah so basically having spent a long time in data centers at three o'clock in the morning troubleshooting why backup has broken something or something isn't working or why it goes really fast in one direction over the network because the duplexing settings are wrong that restores go at 76 kilobytes per second we've all been here yeah multiplexing is definitely evil yeah so all of these things which we do multiplexing and a whole bunch of stuff is done because we are trying to do something which is fundamentally a stupid idea in the first place which is to take all of the data that we have and copy it across a network to some other device and hope that works on a regular basis. And more to the point, hope that at some stage, when we need to restore all of that stuff, it will it will somehow, right, and actually expect that to work. And what works in IT without testing? Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> when was the last time you actually tested recovering the majority of your infrastructure from your backups? And I would get lots of people going... And you might get a bank going, oh, we have to do that twice a year. And I'm going, I bet you didn't restore it from tape. <laughs> yeah, they, they'd mumble and they'd shuffle and they would look uncomfortable. And I would go, so all it is, is an insurance policy, right? Backup is just there as a way of protecting you against some form of disaster. Now, it's a not a cheap insurance policy. The amount of money you spend on backup is, there's, there's a lot of money in data protection. So... Would you pay for insurance? So you sit there and you go, if you were to try and run that full recovery right now, how much do you think you would get back? Just pull a figure out of the air and people would say 40% maybe might come back successfully. That's a reasonable number, okay? I go, what would you do if your wife said, if our house burns down, our insurance policy will cover the house. You get back most of the house. You go... Go and get a new insurance policy. Yeah. And so yet in IT, we all wander around. And in the back of our heads, we know the chances of actually successfully recovering is pretty low. And again, I will say this isn't an abstract thing. This is the reality of almost every single person who pays for ransomware. And that's a butt ton of, right? It fundamentally doesn't address the problem that we want it to. And that's not to say that backup per se is evil, but the way that most people approach backup is evil. Mm. And it just stems from this moving all of your data from one spot across a network to another spot, putting it into something which is you know, meant to be an offline medium, taking that offline medium, putting it into a fireproof safe. Now, here's the other thing. 
all of this tape handling, right? I've seen situations where what could be the very last copy of a company's data being handed to a guy who gets paid less than the guy at McDonald's to be put into the back of a rusty van driven over some of the worst roads in the Southern Hemisphere to be put into what you hope is the right environmental conditions. So you sit there and you go, all this stuff is good for seven or 20 years or whatever the case may be, right? None of the things which are on side, that little label, you know, Please keep between this this humidity and this temperature and this, you know, free from vibration and blah, 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 blah. Tape isn't bad, but people don't treat it the way that it needs to be treated in order for it to have the kinds of recoverability that people expect it to have. So I ran a tape recovery business for a while. And about 25% of the tapes that were sent to me to be recovered, and a lot of this was for legal reasons and stuff like that, Failed. There were just media errors or things like that. Now, to be fair, there's probably some selection bias there. The reasons why they said it probably is because they couldn't recover it, but still. Let, let me ask you, and by the way, this is the conversation that we started with. That's right. what I, now I remember you actually said you had this company. This is how you and I first started talking and that's how, and that's how you're here. So what does that mean? A tape recovery business? So there is a lot of people out there who have tapes that they need to recover data from for either legal discovery or something other else like that. And it's usually not an operational recovery. It's usually a recovery from, say, a tape that they no longer have the tape drive for, right? Okay. Yeah. So my tape recovery business included things like chain of custody where I would get the tape and I would find the old tape drives and I would find the old copies of the operating systems than the old copies of the, the backup software. And I would then recover that data onto a piece of removable media and send that back to the data. Okay. To the... And you're saying that a significant portion of the time the tape was just worthless? They needed significant amounts of extra handling. So it was media error, the unrecoverable yep. media error. Most yep. backup software won't read a tape past that unrecoverable media portion. You actually okay. have to do unnatural things to try and move past there and recover the rest of the data. So I would recover as much as I could from those tapes. And as I said, about 25% of the stuff that I was sent was just not there. So this whole keeping tape as an archive medium for 20 years, I just don't. I personally, based upon my experience, would never trust that this because really, you yeah. can't test it. Yeah. So this yeah. is interesting because we've had some tape specialists, like guys who understand all the physical characteristics of tape on the podcast as well. Joe Jernicke, Mark Lance, talking about like tape and the physical properties of tape. And at least from what I can gather as a complete tape newbie, it seemed, yes, there are issues, but there was a lot of resiliency built into tape to handle some of these issues. Now, I don't know, maybe if it's a software thing, or like you said, maybe some of these old tape drives, maybe they weren't handled in the right way, and that's why you're seeing some of these issues. Maybe it's just the fact you live in the land down under, and so that's why there are issues with tape. We don't yeah. have any of these problems in the Northern Hemisphere. I'm no, 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 no. Well, like but, but, but my sample size is also very small. I don't hang out with people like, unlike Curtis. I know, Curtis, you've run into issues with doing restores from tapes where you've had issues, like some tape drives that yeah. just doesn't work. My, yeah, my <laughs> experience was that just what, tape or no tape, but my experience over you know 30 years of working with people with backups is that 99% of the problem was not the medium. It was the person behind the medium, right? Absolutely. It was, it, yeah. And I will agree that tape 
is a problematic medium, right? There are some things about it that I don't think are problematic, but I do think it's a problematic medium for a long list of reasons. You've mentioned some of them, right? Multiplexing, but you talked about the environmental control. That 25% you said just not there. And again, I do agree that that's probably some sample bias, right? Because you, because you were given all the worst stuff. And I also, I agree with Prasanna. Like, when was this? When did you have this? Oh, oh this was not long before I joined NetApp. So that would have been 16 years ago, right? So, you know, a lot has happened in 16 yeah. years. So but, it's not ancient history, but it's not recent either, right? No, that um, would have been the early LTO days. Yeah, early LTO. I think we're up to LTO2 around about that point in time, DLT, something or other. I'd say tape is only as good as its handlers. Mm-hmm. And, and when you think about it, who gets given the job of looking after backup? <laughs> it is usually the most junior or the person who is like at the end of their career. Generally speaking, the care factors of both of those groups of people are usually not the same. They're not your gun SREs that sit there and proactively think about how do I eliminate every possible cause of failure. Yeah. By the way, I fight that issue all the time, you, you know, it, because I nobody else wanted to do that job. That's how I got my job. And I just never got out of it. <laughs> like I just, I guess maybe I wasn't smart enough. I never got out of backup. But the, and, and then, Actually, I see that t- towards the end of people's career, I often see them in DR. I see them start and back up and end in DR. I heard you talk about, you talk about the full aspect and, and we can both completely agree that the concept of occasional full backups is stupid. We did it back in the day when when we had to do it because if you didn't do a occasional full what how are you going to do a restore with a tape from are you going to do one full and then you're going to do incrementals for 7 years you're not going to do that you're going to do yeah, you're going to do incremental an forever restore. We used to talk about that with Tiffany yeah. Storage Mangler. Yeah. But the thing is that's not to say that doing it occasionally for a really good reason is a bad idea, but using it as your first line of defense is just living in fantasy land because tape has this really wonderful is that a tape sitting in a fireproof safe offs right is air gapped in genuinely air gapped right right it is safe from hackers from network from software failures it's safe from every known form of data loss short of a nuclear bomb and some of them are probably safe against nuclear bombs too if they're in the right kind of location it is this wonderful catch-all thing that protects against all known forms of data loss the trouble is that that tape in that fireproof safe is not suitable for operational recoveries or even really disaster recoveries it's the last line of defense yeah use it for what it's good for yep right you should not be trying to do your user deleted a file let me try to restore it oh wait i gotta go call recall a tape off premises and do the restore right it's a last line of defense like you said but it should not be your first no it shouldn't be and that's kind of what i put inside you know these like massive tables which sort of Mm. talk about what protects uh, against various value domains and tape right. is green so, across the so board. Let me ask you, when you look at this paper that y- it wasn't that long ago when you wrote it, 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 it's when I'm listening to you talk about it, I'm hearing a lot of complaints about tape and about things that we did because of tape. What about disk-based systems that aren't doing the things that you talked about? So not doing repeated fulls, not doing multiplexing and... You, they're less susceptible to the environmental stuff that you talked about. Generally, the same companies that you were talking about before, mm-hmm. but just not using tape as the primary mechanism. How much does that address your concerns? 
with the right combination of operational procedures and the right combination of technologies, it completely addresses them in a really elegant way. And I'm going to bring up the whole, a snapshot is a backup, right? Even at NetApp now, you will find people going, no, a snapshot's not a backup. We can't say that anymore. A snapshot is a form of backup that protects against certain kinds of failures. So I sit there and say, what are your causes of failures? Well, there's user failures, protects against that pretty well. Application failures, yep, protects against that pretty well. Array failures, pa-pow, does not. Right? <laughs> Site failures, pa-pow, does not. Metro failures, not really. In order to protect against those things, you then need to combine that with replication to a separate physical device and preferably right. a separate location. So suddenly applications, yep. Users, yep. Arrays, yep. Sites, yep. Metro, yes. A malicious actor with privileged local access. A hacker that's got your, you know, yeah. Sorry, right. it deletes a snapshot and goes to your remote site and deletes a snapshot. That then, bow, it's gone. So you yeah. then have to layer on what sometimes referred to as operational air gapping, which right. is things like worm, right? Two-factor authentication. Lots of people having to turn the key at the same. And while it's not a real air gap, that's good enough to stop people using nuclear bombs in the wrong way. Okay, it's good enough to protect your backup. So when you combine those things together, and I've got this thing, a geo-distributed object store with replication to a separate administrative domain protects against users, user failures, application, array, site, metro, malicious actors, and malicious actors with site access. All of these things. You now have to get to the point where you've got commandos going into both data centers with axes, finding their way to the array and, and chopping them both apart at the same time. But. <laughs> but. <laughs> you you went from one extreme to the other. You went from Legato to NetApp. I'm talking about all the companies in the middle. You went immediately because I have my issues. I, and by the way, I'm a fan of NetApp, right? Mm -hmm. I'm a fan of snapshots. I do not call them backup by themselves. I, I call them like a convenience copy. I just, it, it hurts my heart to call them backup, okay? Without replication, all right? Yep. We'll just have to agree to disagree on that. But when, when we start talking about a pure play system like NetApp, mm -hmm. the concern that I have there is if you don't change forms at some point, it's that concern of the rolling code problem. If something goes wrong with data on tap, could that take out everything, both the primary and the secondaries, you know, hacker, but just something goes wrong with data on tap and then poof, all my stuff goes. That's why even back when I was like at my height of my NetApp love, mm -hmm. <laughs> I still wanted, I wanted, and if Steven listens to this one, it's going to, I wanted an NDMP backup of the, you know, back in the day. So, so we have two extremes. I guess my question is, what about the other people that aren't NetApp that are doing, that are, they're, they're not doing, because what I heard, again, I heard you talking about the full copy. I heard you talk about multiplexing and I heard you talk about the environmental concerns. If you look at many modern data protection systems, they're not doing the repeated fulls. They're doing block level incremental forever. Uh -huh. They're not using tape. I haven't recommended tape as part of a backup system in I don't know, 15 years, more than that. The only people left that I know of, there, there are some, uh, Brian, I'm talking to you. There are, what's that? I was going to say Matt but, over at Spectra. But yeah, so, yeah. so, so Spectralogic <laughs> uses tape for backup. Of yeah. course they do. When they got hit by a ransomware attack, they recovered 
from that ransomware attack using their tape backup. But, but wait, I want to just comment on that. What? Some part was recovered from tape. A lot of it, though, they said they were able to pull back from snapshots, which they had on their... Which, and again, I got no issue with snapshots. Yeah. I do still feel that there is a role of a different system. Because earlier you were talking about this craziness you said of the idea of copying it to a different... That's the same thing NetApp is doing. I'm just saying do it in a different form, not use NetApp, use something else. Just don't do the dumb things that you said, the repeated folds. That's been dumb for a long time. Definitely multiplexing is, you talked about it. It was evil. It was a necessary evil. We had no choice back in the day. Multiplexing was the only way we could get the backups to, we could get enough data to make the tape drives go fast enough and be at least semi-happy. But then we all knew that if we were going to do a restore, that was not going to be a good day. So what do you think about that? So as long as you're using some form of minimal replication, like block level Mm -hmm. incremental, even just file level incremental, and replication, I'm a happy man, plus worm. It's a good idea, right? The trouble is I still see customers who have this as an option still electing to do streaming backups because that's what they're comfortable with. Well, that I can't fix. Right, no. So so there's that. The other thing I'll also say is that, and I didn't want to turn this into a, an advert for NetApp, but I mean, I work for NetApp and I'm still very keen about yeah. it. We're going to mention Druva at some point. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the Like you talk about pushing this into a different format. That's exactly why the latest versions of what it's basically called snap mirror but it's a very different way of doing things it's um, basically taking the snapshots and pushing this off and putting it into an object store i i want to hear about that but i just realized that i haven't d- yet done our our standard disclaimer, disclaimer that and i do work for different companies i work for druva he works for zoom but we're not speaking for either company the opinions are here are ours and uh, please rate this podcast at rate this podcast.com slash restore and if you want to come argue with me, <laughs> then have Pick at a place, it, baby. Pick a time. Curtis will be there. Yeah. Or if you want to come on and you want to go, Curtis, I think backups are amazing. I think <laughs> that John Martin guy was a moron. And we want to talk about just how much we love backups. Whatever, man. In this space, cybersecurity, ransomware, beer and backups. I keep threatening. We got to do a, do another beer and backups. We do have- I actually guessed it on a show that was called Beer and Bites. That's literally the name of their podcast, <laughs> Beer and Bites. And I was required. Oh, it was so horrible. I had to bring beer to, to oh, poor baby. <laughs> Basically by, by the end of the, by the end, of, we're drinking the whole episode. By the end of the episode, I was a little loopy. Yeah. So tell me about this, the snap mirror to object. It's been called a few things within NetApp, sometimes SnapMirror Cloud. It's basically using the same block-level replication technology you would expect to find inside of a NetApp array to go from, we called SnapMirror, to go from array mm-hmm. to array, where we're keeping like an on-tap file system, we're figuring out what's, what the changes have been made there, and we ship across like a blob of blocks, and we apply that transactionally to the other on-tap file system, and away we go, okay? Mm-hmm. And so therein you have your problem, but what happens if that blob of stuff includes a level of corruption that screws up the file system at the other end. Now I can say I have never heard of that happening. But you know, just because it's never happened doesn't mean it couldn't theoretically happen. Again, what this does is this replicates, rather than to another NetApp array, it replicates directly through to an S3 object. 
store. So we're able to apply these blobs of changes directly into an S3 object. And then we can run through and grab that stuff and represent that as a file system. In fact, we can even do incremental restores from that into something other else. So we've actually satisfied that, I'll call it an objection, fair, that, yeah. Yeah, why, yeah, if you're not changing the, the nature of the format in which you're storing the data, you have this potential problem. One, right. neatly addresses that. The other thing, it preserves a lot of the goodness of array-to-array array mirroring. The other thing it does, and this is the thing where the NetApp approach I like better than using a third you know, party, a third party, because all of those things drop these things into backup formats, which are meant primarily for recoverability. Remember how I talked about what works in IT but that you can't test? Mm -hmm. Can you easily test the fact that stuff is there and is working? Can you sit there and say, is there 90%, 100%? How quickly can I go through and start using that data again? All of those things typically re require some form of recovery process. And if we're talking about 80, 90% of your estate, which has just been crypto locked, we're now talking about 10 to 20 days worth recovering this stuff back onto something which is primary. If that copy is on something which is primary, right? this allows us to use this replica, not just for data protection, but we can use it for compliance checking. It's, it's a mm. usable copy of the data. And more to the point, it's a testable copy of that data. So, so go ahead. So full disclosure, I used to work for NetApp on replication products. I love the technology, but I'm going to start poking a little, a uh, few holes, Ricky. One of the things though, right, and this sounds very familiar. I'm sure you're aware of it way back when there was snap mirror to tape where people wanted to be able to dump volumes to tape <laughs> and ship it off places and restore, except it looks like this is a much, much better design, right? With the incremental forever, being able to connect and being able to instantly access your files. It sounds great. But just going back to Curtis, one of the challenges is when you have a single vendor, even though you are changing the format and writing it to object store, I would claim underlying it's still the NetApp file system, correct? No. You're no, not writing out not. with Waffle or anything else like that? There is no Waffle on the other end. Okay. So then I okay. take back no that. No Waffle on this answer. Okay. There is no, is I'm good. not waffling on this answer. Okay. <laughs> the, 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 the data structure, which is kept by necessity, has to be different because the the semantics for being able to access this stuff, you can't write over, you know, just think yeah. about it. You've got get put and a bunch of other things. I would be happy to arrange for anybody who's interested to talk to a real expert on this. Yeah. But if you think about it, coming back to snap mirror to tape, which was a similar kind of thing. Yep. It was still basically a stream of the waffle file system on tape. Then there was another advance, which was called advanced tape, which is still there right now, which basically allows you to do image-based backups of things. Because let's face it, just doing file-based backups, I've got to say, like in the old days, doing a high-density file system backup, yep. which is like, oh, no, God, no, please don't make me do this. And then the answer was image-based backups. And I go back to Legato, which is when I started my backup as evil, the thing for that was something called, God, do you remember BudTool and their, their <laughs> um, Celestra? And that was an image-based dump that was used by 30. That's where this started. That's what reason my backup was evil started because, like, it was, you know, backup killed your location, did nasty things to your server, and blah, 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 blah. This snap mirror to tape was that. And then we then ended up with advanced tape, which allows us to do 
The, yep. This then takes that and logically improves it in a number of areas. So it's while it's really new technology, it's only been available in ONTAP for, I think, the last two or three versions. It's the foundation for so much of yep. NetApp's ongoing data protection. Cloud Backup, or you may not know Cloud Backup, which is that's based upon this same technology, mm -hmm. right? Because it's going through and pushing stuff directly onto S3. Gotcha. Um, and I do like the functionality that you mentioned where you can instantly mount that copy from the cloud and start verifying, do I have my data there? Because Curtis and I have chatted with some folks in the past with ransomware recovery. Half the time is just figuring out like where your data is, doing the actual recovery process, being able to quickly access it, like you mentioned, and not have to wait for a tape to come back. It's critical in being able to get your environment back up and running, identify which applications you need to bring back first and where that data exists. So yeah, so very cool if you having can, that instant access functionality. Absolutely. If you can mount that that recovery data store and make it, yeah, and access it just using standard tools, not the backup tool, because that's the other problem you have is once you put this into a, into a relative proprietary format, how do you access that easily? If this is just mountable via NFS or SMB share, especially for like high density file system backups, you can start running statistical things where you just like run like a chaos monkey of, can I see that file? Can I see this file? I should be able to see this thing here. And you can just statistically be happy that the stuff which I should be able to recover, I can recover. It takes away that testability problem that I talked about beforehand. So you can always sit there and have a really high degree of confidence that if there is a disaster, I can recover this stuff and you can run tests on it. Like yeah. You can sit there and say, how long would it take me? And I can tell you with well-designed NetApp infrastructure, right, that recovering four petabytes worth of data can literally take you 10 minutes going back to that previous recovery point. And you can test it. By oh, you mean because you're not actually recovering the entire four petabyte, you're bringing back the it's, bits that are different. All you have to do is change the metadata and suddenly you've got a view of the data, what it looked like an hour ago, two hours ago, five right, days right. ago, 10 days ago, whatever the case may be. And you don't have to run through recovery processes. So in the same way that, and remember, we only back up so that we can recover. But recovery is what it's all about. So if I can recover like in 10 minutes and I'm not, you know, that, that might be, look, let's say it's an hour once you throw on all the other operational procedures. Compare that to trying to recover a petabyte's worth of stuff from any third-party backup tool before you can start using it. It's a week-long exercise. Yeah, for, for what it's worth, at least our position at Druva, when you look at especially a high-density file system or anything like that, your primary protection mechanism should be something like what you described because it, there's just no beating that yes. I, I don't care how i don't care how fast you are bringing four petabytes back from anywhere is going to take and i i do think you talked a lot about testing and i couldn't agree more and i remember back the, the first company that really did this that put this on the map was veeam they had the the sure backup and and still have this sure backup functionality that you automatically could specify some systems that they would recover. They don't recover it. They just bring it up. That's the key. Just the same thing that you talked about. And I know that with Druva, we have the ability to do that on certain workloads. I know that we can do that for DR. And I know that there are other, some other systems. And by the way, we can all agree that the more testing you can do, the better, number one. And number two, 
the easier it is to do testing, the the easier, it's, the more you're going to do it. Now, I remember when I worked at the, um, we had to do, I think you you said it about the, every six months, right? The, rec- the, the, the recovery thing. And no, we did not do the whole data center. We picked a couple of critical workloads and we would do it. And it was a huge pain in the butt that involved like 50 people that all had to be there, whether they needed to be there or not. And it was horrible. It was a horrible <laughs> process. It was like, it was like traumatic. And I, I know I've said it on the podcast before, but one of the things was that I would write the documentation, but somebody else had to read the documentation and execute the, the recovery. And, and I wasn't supposed to help, right? It, like the, the idea was that I got blown up in the whatever. And so they have to do it. And I think that's a great way to do recovery. But we need to do more automated recovery testing. We push this at Druva where we're like, if something is a critical workload, by the way, I have a similar thought to you, just obviously with a a different tool. (laughs) So if it's a workload that's critical, that needs to come back, if it's something that you get a ransomware attack and it needs to be up now, then it should be covered by, you should pre-configure it with our DR service. And the only way to do DR in my opinion today for most people is to do it in the cloud, number one, and number two, to do it in advance. Meaning that if it's really important, it needs to be just like you talked about with your image that you can just mount it because that's what Veeam did, right? That's why Veeam can do that automated testing is because they can just mount the image. Yeah. Uh, and we can do the same thing with some of our workloads, but they, and, and then basically if you can pre-restore the data, so that, because if you are, I'll bring up, go back to the days of e, when EMC was EMC, right? One of their slogans was, if you're reaching for a tape, you're dead. That was one of their things that you, the, the recovery needs to have been done already. They, they were pushing like SRDF and yeah. whatnot. But you and I agree on that, that you, if you're going to have to pull down some giant blob of data, whether it's from a bunch of tapes from a big dedupe disk array, whether it's from a bunch of object storage in the cloud, if in order to get back up and running, you have to bring a bunch of stuff back and you haven't already restored it, you're going to be in a world of hurt, no matter what technology you're using. Yeah, absolutely. The biggest downfall from my perspective, NetApp's approach, is that it requires you have your data sitting on, on tap, on waffle as your primary data source. And Market share says that's about 15% of the enterprise data out there. There's, I would love it to be 100%, but realistically, it will never be 100%. But right? your stock price would be a lot better. Oh, shit, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, and so, yeah, these other tools and the heterogeneous backup is still an incredibly important thing. My real beef is about people's, and my, my problem is not, the competitors. My problem is people's practices and the way in which they define their requirements based upon like tape based backup thinking. It's right? yeah, that, yeah. That, that they haven't is, modernized. <laughs> yeah, that so a good friend of mine, Reed, who also listens to the podcast, and he, he talked, he tells a story about the, the grandmother that that um always cut what was it? It was something about cutting the ends off the meatloaf or something. And, and and she'd done it for years. And when you find out why that why do we cut the ends off of the meatloaf? And it's because 
back in the day, it wouldn't fit in the pan if you didn't do that. But she's still do, but she's still doing it right thirty years later. And uh, that is absolutely true. There are so like the full backup is the best example of what you're talking about. Yeah, people that no longer use tape. So even if you're not using a tool like Druva, Veeam, Rubric, Cohesity. These are all incremental forever technologies that that they were built to be that way. A lot of the other products, what they've done, they they weren't built to be that way. They, but they've invented the concept of the, what's it called? Persona, the synthetic full, synthetic full. Thank you. The synthetic full. So at least migrate to a synthetic full. If your product needs an occasional full, if you can do it synthetically, please do that. Don't send but all the bits over say, the wall. If you're still, I think if you're still using a product that requires an occasional full, sorry. And, and I know it's going to make me sound like a Druva bigot or something, but if you're still using a backup product that requires an occasional full in today's world, I I agree with you that that's, I've always said, you were, you with your presentation back with, with Legato. Yeah. I had a similar presentation where I was like, full backups are stupid. Mm. I remember having, like I had a presentation of, it was like 10 things wrong with most people's backups. And one of them was that they were doing full backup. This was back, they were still doing weekly fulls when they could go on to monthly or quarterly fulls and use synthetic. Stop doing weekly fulls. You did that with tape because you had no other choice. And they- and it um, makes me feel good, Curtis. What's that? It, <laughs> they do. That's probably what they're thinking. It's the way that- they- What's really hilarious is they do that weekly full despite the impact that has on the production environment. And then they store it on a deduplication disk array. (laughs) And you know what drives me nuts is even when people have a really easy option to go from fulls to using something modern, and I can't give out the answers, but I have seen how many NetApp customers still use NDMP dumps. (laughs) (laughs) And it it, it, it goes, why? <laughs> please stop i mean we have this yeah, really easy yeah i remember being a fan of ndmp at one point it, it had its purpose at one point that purpose i think is has it's passed and right? yet and so to you know i think we're my, my whole thing is that backup is evil don't think about doing as backup system build a recovery system think about what your most likely failure scenarios are. Think about failure domains, users, arrays, sites. In fact, a site is more likely to fail than an array is these days. I've seen more arrays and data centers taken out from plumbing accidents than Mm. I've ever seen arrays go down. You have a good viewpoint to to have that data. That's interesting. That's that's an interesting statement. Yeah, because you sit there and go, what happens if the array goes down? Arrays, this isn't just NetApp arrays, but NetApp arrays are really awesome. But arrays these days are pretty damn reliable. Yeah. I mean, you know, the state of the art is that they stay up for five years unless you need to reboot them for, unless they're, I'm not here to be mean about the competition. There are some that were really awful. Not NetApp arrays. For the most part, when an array goes down, it's because there's been a massive power center failure and then something comes up and certain arrays don't come back up online, all the NetApp ones. Or there's been a plumbing accident where it's just seriously, I said, a toilet breaks upstairs, the data center floor is underneath that and you've got water dripping yeah. down the racks and it's, oh shit. Um, someone forgot to change the battery on a generator failover switch. Yep, or somebody <laughs> tested the generator failover and didn't realize that all the PDUs were, atta- were wired up yeah. wrong. Just, just, you know, and that that's... is why we test things, but it, it's because we, our last guest, we, we, did we have a guest that was 
darn it, I, I totally space. We had, our last guest persona yeah, didn't he? Did, he... he basically tried to do an exchange recovery. That's right. It was the it, exchange recovery. Yep, and it didn't work, and he basically had to go through. Luckily, it was a test environment, so not all the pressure of people yelling at you. But he's yeah, we have to figure out how to do like test our restores. Yeah, keep in mind, Chernobyl was because of infrastructure testing. Went I did really, not know that. Really wrong. No, yeah, yeah. you know what? I did know that. I never. I guess I never really thought about. I never put it in that context because, I mean, according to the movie, I saw the movie. That's literally the extent. <laughs> the extent that I oh, know of Chernobyl. That and a bunch of people are currently blockading it from Russian soldiers. But yeah. which, based on what I saw in the movie, sounds like a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> um, but stay away don't touch the building don't yeah. touch the glowing building <laughs> um <laughs> i just not laughing matter but yeah it's yeah yeah testing is and doing making this infrastructure testable yeah. I, i'm really because i used to be a software developer and test driven development is how you do things and if we think about all this thing about creating agile data infrastructures or coming into the cloud and all the rest of this stuff. This is about how do we make what we do testable and incremental and small changes and continuous development, continuous operations, traditional backup approaches, you know, which depend upon, I have to make sure my weekly full is done before I begin my change management. And I have to allow for at least nine hours to recover my environment in case it goes wrong means I can only do changes on the weekend. That means you get 50 change windows a year. And I ask people, how many change windows, is 50 change windows enough for you to get all the stuff you need to get done? And they go, no. I said, how many do you need? They go, about 300. I go, so that means you have to be able to not just back up, but recover more or less instantaneously, right? And you need to be able to sit there and rehearse all of this stuff, you know, during the day when everybody is there, not like how was it Chernobyl where everybody had gone home and all the good people were sleeping. You need to test all that stuff, make sure that it works. And then you rehearse that, you script it, you test it, you make sure it works, and then you execute that. Because I've been in situations where people did an SAP upgrade the wrong slow way and the SAP upgrade was going to take 17 hours, but they couldn't stop it. Once because it, it had just started. You see uh, what I mean? And the thing is, if you sit there and you rehearse that on a test dev copy, which you spin up instantaneously, and you can do this in the cloud or wherever you want to do it, then suddenly you're going to go, oh, no, don't do that. Let's do it this other way. And that's my entire thing about that long white paper is I'm trying to make the case, think about failure scenarios, think about operational efficiencies right how do you support the business in doing what it is they want to do because the reason why the backup is given to the most junior guy why it never really gets enough funding to do a really proper job or if it does it it happens once every three years and becomes broken within four months is because it is not aligned in fact is antithetical to most business level objectives it's a boat anchor on change management it can be so much more in fact, a backup can provide the test dev copies to accelerate right. change. That's what that really long paper is all about. Is please stop thinking, you know, don't use tape or traditional backups or any other form of backup for anything that it's not really designed to be good for. Yes, use tape to make off-site copies and put them in your fireproof safe because you know what? It still is proof against nuclear bombs and all the rest of that stuff. So that's a yeah. good thing to have at least one copy on tape. But 
don't build your entire thinking around it. Build your thinking yeah. around business requirements. Sorry, that's my rant. No, no I get it. Yeah, I do still think that your primary beef is with with a tape-based system and a system that works like a tape-based system rather than backup itself. And to me, backup is a broad tent. I like that to call it data work. protection. Yes. Yeah. yeah, I'm okay with that. Yeah. yeah. And it includes the things Backshops, that you do. Replication, it includes DDP, yep. right? It includes a, a bunch of things. And many of which I'm not a fan of, but they still meet the basic <laughs> definition. And this hasn't been nearly as painful as yeah. I thought it might have been. <laughs> Backup is evil is just clickbait. It's yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, that's what's going to have to be the title of this episode. It's going to have there to be go. backup is evil. <laughs> so says Ricky Martin. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for coming on for coming on the podcast. You're welcome. It's been a pleasure. It really has. I, no, I don't really get to talk to many people about it. <laughs> <laughs> they don't let you out much over there. And Prasanna, I know you didn't get a word too many words in edgewise in that's this okay. episode, but. It's Between me and Ricky. I'm glad I did not have to tell you both to go to your corners. So that was a plus. <laughs> That's right. You were going to be the, the, what do you call it? The moderator. Yep. But exactly. this, was, this wasn't so bad. I, I will say in the beginning when he was just really railing against backup, my, my I can feel your blood little, boiling from here. It <laughs> hurt a little bit. I was like, oh, but I was like, oh, I've said a lot of the same things. It's just, yep. Yeah. Anyway, so thanks <laughs> Thanks for not saying much. Yeah. <laughs> it was entertaining. It's all good. <laughs> and thanks to the listeners. We only do this for you. We do it so Ricky can have somebody to talk to. <laughs> <laughs> and we make sure to subscribe to the podcast so that you can restore it all. Go!